Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is the Mark Boris Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Mark Boris Show. Today I'm talking to the founders of two businesses who live and breathe the world of travel. Our first guest is Janice Keller, who founded Boundround. They're a website and app which has travel advice, activities, videos and stories from locations around the world, but basically aimed at children and their parents, of course. Then later on I'll talk to Gabriel Sarajinsky, who founded Home Host, which is a property management company with a difference. They exclusively deal in Airbnb properties. So we have an Airbnb, they'll look after it so you don't have to worry about it. Okay, let's get straight into it. Janice Keller first launched Boundround in 2014 as an app aimed at showing kids fun things they could do in Sydney and on their holidays, or whilst on the holidays, probably more importantly. It's since grown into a website and online community with videos, stories, and recommendations in locations in Australia and worldwide. And it's soon launching a curated family holiday package as well, or a whole series of packages. Janice, welcome. Thank you very much, Mark. Now, I'm actually very interested to know, A, what was the problem you originally were trying to solve when it come to kids and travel? What was the problem? <laughs> Look, it's a really, um, it's an interesting story because I had the idea to solve a problem that I'd seen traveling myself. Now, I don't have kids, but I was sat on a long haul flight from London back to Sydney um, and I'd been visiting friends with kids. So I'd been kind of in that headspace and I had these three children from Manchester sitting next to me. The kids were asking a whole range of questions during the flight, you know, sorts of things like how many giraffes are there at the zoo? Where can we get ice cream? What's it going to be like on the ferry? And their parents had never been to Sydney before, so their parents didn't know the answers to those questions. And as we were walking off the plane, like through to passport control, I heard the kids say to their parents, I want to go home. Sydney's boring. And I was heartbroken. I'm Sydney born and bred, and I've also lived in Manchester for a little while. No child that lives in Manchester should arrive in Sydney thinking it's boring. I was like, this is a problem I have to solve. I have to help the kids be excited about where they're going. And I have to help the parents really re-engage the kids and, and lift that energy that they had at home at the end of a long haul flight. And so that's really where the idea of Bound Round came from. So problem, solution. What was the solution there? The solution was to, well, originally the solution was to create a book, which was a great idea. You know, kids travel book, kind of like a Lonely Planet guide for kids. Problem was, when I researched, Lonely Planet was doing exactly the same thing and launching their Lonely Planet for kids at the same time. So there was no way me as, you know, a single entrepreneur was able to going to be able to go head to head with Lonely Planet. And I sort of, the more I thought about it and talked to people, I was like, you know what? The kids want to be on their devices and the parents don't really want to have to carry anything else. So let's do it as an app which to be honest, freaked me out a little bit because I wasn't technical at all. I had no tech background. I could write and I had a business background, but I wasn't at all technical. So I was like, oh my goodness, how do I do this? Um, and so I actually enlisted a mentor who was also a writer, but had built children's book apps. And she kind of gave me the confidence to say, look, give it a go. Um, and really introduced me to the right contacts here in Sydney to outsource the bits that I didn't understand. So is it, is it an in-flight app? Like, so you get on the plane and uh, Virgin, whoever it is, uh, uh, um, offers you to go into the in-flight app so the kids can sit there during the flight of the 17 hours or 20 hours and look, sc scroll through things they can do when they get to Sydney or Manchester, wherever it is, or how does it work? How does the app work? So that's an evolution for us. We are actually the 
part of the in-flight entertainment system for Virgin Australia um, and our video content and stuff that kids can do in destinations is now part of that. Right. Originally, it was just an iPhone app. Build an iPhone app that the kids could engage with and play. There's mini games. You can send their digital postcards and they can look at video content from different destinations. So the very first one we launched was just for Sydney and I was super proud. There were 12 cool things to do in Sydney with videos. For example, what, what, do you, what did you tell them to do in Sydney? Catch a ferry, you know, take the ferry from Sydney to Manly or from Sydney to the zoo or Sydney to Watson's Bay. So we got kids on the ferry and filming on the ferry and the kids telling that story themselves. There was Taronga Zoo, there was Luna Park, there was Manly Beach, get fish and chips at Manly Beach. What What's really important for me is that it's a combination of paid activities, you know, stuff that mum and dad are going to have to put their hand in their pocket for, but also the free stuff. And do you get any sponsorship from the Australian government for well, New South Wales government? Um, no, no. Did you try? Uh, well, actually, that you know what, that's not fair. We once we'd launched the Sydney the Sydney app and then expanded it to be um, a global offering. Global's a little stretch, but there are international destinations included. Um, we had an idea to roll it into education because the Bound Round app, the Bound Round Travel app, has been aligned to the national curriculum here for primary school students in terms of literacy and geography. And so everybody kept talking to us about education and could you do something for teachers to make it easier to find excursion destinations and ideas. So we did get New South Wales. Um, government funding to build a prototype of that. So the original or the older versions of Innovate New South Wales grants, we got one of those in 2015. Because it's important to all the listeners here um, that they understand that there are government grants, both at a federal and a state level, um, possibly even at different, uh, within different departments as well, that a startup can access when they've got a great idea and it actually helps you know, Sydney or New South Wales or the Australian government or whatever it is, I think it's important. Because what I'm trying to do here, Janice, is I'm just trying to get our listeners to understand the theming. The theming here is problem, two, solution, which you've, you've, you've told us about, and, and uh, three, funding, because you've got to get these things funded. And, and where I'd like to move to now is um, the evolution of the idea, because no idea that is successful today is the way it originally started. These things evolve and they, you know, some people like to use the word pivoting, whatever, but there's an evolution. So tell me about the evolution. Where are you today relative to where you started off? What's the difference? We are so far for today from, from where we started. And to your point about funding and um, making it making it work, that has been our biggest challenge because to just create a Sydney app that is free for kids because people don't really want to pay for infotainment effectively on their devices, um, that was never going to work, despite the fact that I thought it would when I built the first app. Um, so then we evolved to really becoming a kids content production business. So we got really good at pr getting kids, unpaid actors, like not actors, like just normal kids being amazing and telling a destination story on, um, on film or video and then licensing that to other people. Like just random kids? Um, we have a partnership with drama schools. Right. So we tap into kids who want to have a profile, who like to be in camera. It's a bit of a showreel piece yeah, for yeah. them. Um, yeah, and you don't pay them. They just... No, they get free activities yeah, yeah. Um, and they get then the videos to use in their, sh in their showreels. You're giving them a platform yeah. to perform, yeah. to, to hone their skills. Yes. Okay. And uh, I guess there's a whole lot of regulatory environment around all this sort of stuff. Yeah. You've got to have the right insurances. <laughs> you've got to have um, working with children checks. There's only so many hours you can work in a day. There are, yeah. It's, it's quite a tightly controlled way of operating. Don't, again, I, I need listeners to, who are aspiring to set up their new businesses to understand that it's not a free-for-all. In other words, particularly when it comes to certain segments of the market like kids or just generally, I think, um, kids in particular. So you've got problem, solution, um, grants, government grants. In other words, wherever can I get some liquidity, some money, then there's the evolution of this thing that turns from uh, something that started off in one particular way ended up being something totally different. Then there's all the regulatory environment you've got to wage your way through, which is always a difficult thing, but you've got to respect the regulations, and although they're, they are a pain in the ass, You've got to respect it, pain in the ass in the sense that you've got to get through hoops all the time, all the time, and you've always got to be conscious of those hoops. Tell me about monetization. How do you monetize a business like this? Now you've got it to where you sort of 
at a better stage to where it was originally. I'm sure it won't end up here in five years' time. We'll be having a different conversation, but monetization. How do you monetize it? So we monetize by licensing the content or getting paid to produce content in the first instance. But by who? Sorry, by who? So by people like hotel chains or by tourism tourism organizations. Explain to me how that works. So let, to, to give me a hotel, don't give me a hotel chain, but uh, well, you can tell me who. So it, so one of the family hotels on the Gold Coast. Yep. They are not the number one sort of there is one that is the number one that everybody knows about and then there's a bunch of sort of others. Yeah, yeah. One of them wanted to be able to position themselves like the others, like like the number one and have awesome video content through the eyes of kids. So they paid us. Well, tell me who their name is. Let's give them a, give them a, a bit of a push. <laughs> Who's the family one? Um, Turtle Beach Resort on okay. the Gold Coast. Right, okay. So, so Turtle Tur- Beach. Turtle Beach Resort yep. on the Gold Coast yep. um, said, we want to have great video content by kids to be able to use on our social media channels, on our website, and to really show parents that kids love it here. Yep. Um, so as a kids specialist video producers, um, which is how we'd evolved from the app business, um, they said, can you come and do this for us? So we found local kids on the, that lived on the Gold Coast. They got to go and stay there for the night, experience the resort, and we followed them around with a camera. They, the kids had a camera, and then we edit that together into a package that the hotel can use to promote their destination. Now, they pay us for the production yep. services of that, and the kids and the family, because their parents mm-hmm. are obviously with them, get that opportunity for free. Okay, that, and that's cool. So, so what you're doing is you're building a platform, so it's a marketplace. You're saying hotel families with children or kids with families uh, you come and stay at the hotel for a couple of days you get to um, you get to show to build a show reel about what you do uh, uh, child number one two and three uh, hotel you get the content uh, me Janice I get a I get a fee for the production of the whole thing so I'm the platform you're the platform you are providing a marketplace for uh, two demands and two lots of supply yeah and that's how businesses work and being mindful of all the regulatory environments, et cetera. So just how many people – so there was you and who else? So in terms of how you built this, in terms of personnel. So my team was me to begin with and um, a couple of junior, sort of casual juniors who were really awesome um, content curators. Um, Did and you then, get them out of um, production companies or were they sort of contract production people? Or You know what? I've been really lucky finding people. It's all been through my network or there's actually been nobody that's come through an ad. We've we've placed ads on Seek and, and things like that, um, but none of the people that we've ended up hiring and staying with us for a long period of time have come that way. They've all come through a friend of a friend whose mum is now returning to work and wants to do something. You know, my mentor's husband became my business partner. Right, okay. So it's all been through the network and it's all parents. And I think that's one thing that I've learned in terms of working in the family and kids space is the power of that parent network, which I never completely understood. But a lot of parents, you know, we're we're dealing with kids and and parents and we have a team of working parents. So so, that, that, and of course, you know, I had someone come to me about, um, you know, a great technological idea yesterday and it seems like a great idea. But like I was trying to explain to him, mate, you know, you've got to, it's not going to be you. The business will not be just you. In in due course, the business will be about all the other things other than you. In other words, it won't be about the technology. It'll be about the people who go out and take the technology to customers. It'll be the the operations manager. It'll be the 10 other people you have in your business, which is where you need your funding to come from. You've got to to fund these things. These people rarely do it for nothing. You've got to, you know, it's a job and they want to get paid for it. It might be modest, but they need to get paid so how many people would you, from the beginning when you first conceived the idea, to say, how many years ago was that? So the very the first conception of the idea was in 2012. We didn't build anything until okay, 2014. Five, okay, four years later yeah. now, gone from one to how many people? We're 12 people, but we're only two full-timers. Two full-timers. So you, but you've got sort of 12 coming in and go, coming and going, um, or 10 coming and going, um, and they have to be funded. That's going to cost you X amount of dollars per month, and you have to find that money. Um, how did you fund that? So I um, had a and have a second business that enabled me to fund it upfront, a consulting business, um, consulting into big corporates. So basically, just body shopping myself into corporates. Um, I then raised capital, which I have to say was probably the hardest 
thing I've ever had to it do. Is the hard, it is always the hardest task in relation to startups, always. It's almost soul-destroying to begin with because totally. you get told no so many times. Totally. And you're so excited and enthusiastic about this idea and you really believe that it can work and you're just waiting for that one person to go, I'm going to back you. But it galvanises you. Every knockback, it either kills you or galvanises you and it makes you more resilient yeah. and builds you up, builds you up, builds you up. It does. I mean, it, it, and that's why of every 100 startups, 80 go out of business and 20 remain. So that's it's usually the money side of it or the acquiring of staff side of it or stepping into holes around regulatory environments and actually completely stuffing it up. Um, it's one of those three. And obviously you have that resilience and that ability and that strength to actually just keep walking on end or trudging on. Sometimes it's like the smallest step forward, but it's still going forward. As long as you're going forward. Yeah. And I think, I think that's one of the things that I've definitely learned and that the money and the staff are so intertwined. I think it's one of those, it's really the thing for me that keeps me up at night is the, what, like I've made a commitment to my team. I've made a commitment to the businesses that are giving us their business. And I've made a commitment to the consumers that are using and engaging with our product. I have to keep this thing going. Yeah, you're I in. have to find a way to make it, it just keep going. I love that. I mean, and, and I think I would just, I mean, I, this is a common theme all the time. It comes across my desk all the time. You Sometimes you need to keep your day job or your night job, or whatever the other job is to fund the business. And really all, everything you earn is going to pay others. But what you're saying to yourself is the way you keep yourself in the game is I'm actually building up an investment here. I'm building up goodwill. I'm building up the value, the strategic value, the thing I'm investing in by paying these people. Instead of looking at it as I own it here and I go straight out over there, you actually own the bit in the middle. Can I ask you a question? Do you actually say to your key people, and I, maybe there's not that many of them, but you did say you've got a uh, business partner. Do you actually say to your key people, look, I'm going to give you some equity in this business to give them that further incentive to put in? Yeah. I Yes, I have. So my business partner um, came in for sweat equity. So he worked for no salary. He was fortunate to be in a position where he could do that um, for a period of time and actually work in the business. He now doesn't work in the business anymore, but he still owns a part of it and he's really in an advisory in role. an advisory role. But he's got equity in the but business. But he's still got yeah. equity in the business. Um, my full-time staff member and one of my part-timers, she works four days a week and she's been there for a long time. Um, they have equity because we can't afford to do pay rises, for example, yep. and we can't afford to do bonuses. Um, and these, these people are, you know, highly experienced. They're sacrificing the opportunity to get a big bonus and a much bigger salary when if they were to go to work in a different travel business or in a different tech business. But they take the view that one day they're going to have this valuable asset sitting there. And so I had to be able to do something. And I also wanted to be able to give them something so that, you know, when it is much more valuable as an asset than what it is today, they're rewarded for the effort that they've put in because they're incredibly committed. They work well and truly overs what anybody would expect and they need to be rewarded for that. And if I can't do it in cash, that's really the best way I could think of to okay, do it. Okay, let's say I'm one of these people and I'll be, I mean, maybe I might not be, may not be representative of the norm, but I'd be sitting there thinking, you know, I'm putting all this work in for Janice and, uh, and it's going great and, and I love it. I uh, don't know what the value of my equity is because I don't know what the value of the business is. Um, but maybe I want to leave in two years' time. Do you give them some sort of agreement that you will buy their interest out for a market value or fair value in case they want it? Because it, I agree, it's, but it's great that they have equity, <clears throat> excuse me, because and they're not getting pay rises and they're taking equity in return. How do they? How do they see that as valuable? Um, unless, if they don't know what the exit strategy is, their exit strategy. Or do you say, listen, if you want to leave in two years' time, and if you're a good leaver, in other words, you're not leaving for the wrong reasons. You know, you're not going to the competition, or you haven't done something fraudulent, or you're just leaving because you're a good person. Um, I will go and get a fair valuation of this business, and if you're inter you're got a ten percent interest, I'll pay you ten percent of that. I'll pay you that ten percent so I can have your equity back. And if you're a bad lever, I'll buy back at a 50% discount. If you're a good lever, I'll buy back at a 10% dis uh, discount. Because th those conditions were imposed upon me by Kerry Packer. Kerry Packer said when I did the deal with him and Wizard, he said, listen, son, if you leave, 
um, I want your interest. I don't want you just to run off with your interest and I run the business or I put people that run the business. So I want your interest today. If, you, if you're what they call a bad leave, in other words, you commit any of these sins, um, I'll buy your interest at 50% of the fair value of the business. Or if you're a good leaver, I'll buy your interest at a, a discount of 15% of the fair value of the business. And the fair value means, guess I'm like Price Waterhouse in my case, Price Waterhouse to value. But there are lots of people who can value businesses. You can even set down the formulas in your agreement. Do you, have you thought that through that yet? And have you asked, been asked about that by any of these people? You know, it's a really interesting that you bring it up today because it was the last conversation I had as I was leaving the office last night um, with one of the team about how do our shares really work? Hmm. Um, and how do I know really what they're worth? Mm-hmm. Um, now, the short answer to the question is we the staff have ordinary shares the same as yep. anybody else um, and we have a shareholders agreement in place that then um, everybody's on the same page mm-hmm. and if you want to leave or sell your shares, then you have to offer it to the other existing shareholders yep. They're first. called preemptive rights for those people listening. They're called preemptive rights. So that's that's what we have and it's we've kind of kept it as simple as that. Listening to you talk now, I'm thinking maybe we should probably look at it slightly differently for staff. Um, but at this point in time, a staff member who is a shareholder is treated exactly the same as any other shareholder uh, because there aren't that many of us. Yeah. So you're, you're basically living to market conditions. Um, you're saying, um, I'm the leaving staff member, whatever the reason I'm leaving for, I put in the market for a price. Um, you, the owner, the, the remaining owners have the right to buy it or uh, put in a different offer. But the problem with that is that you can end up having what they call a Russian roulette. So you don't ever meet and end up, end up having having an agreement. What I'm probably saying here is you should, if someone's leaving up, my view is they should be forced to sell. They should mm. be forced, forced to sell on a fair basis because if you can't reach agreement on the agreement, the preemptive rights arrangement you have, um, if you can't reach a price, then they could just sit there and you could work your ass off for the next 25 years and the thing could be worth a billion dollars and they just go and pick up their 5% of the billion dollars um, being at home. And, and also, you've got to take into account sometimes people you want them to leave. If they've done something that requires them to leave, okay? They're called bad leavers. And then they're, but there are also good leavers. Mostly people are good leavers. You know, they retire, they change up, just change their view on things, whatever, move out of town. So you might want to consider that, um, having yeah. a bad leaver, good leaver provision in there. So it actually comes to a head. But by the way, they're happy with that too because they know – that whatever the fair value is, determine if you can't determine the fair value and they can't determine the fair value, you can't agree, then you get a third party to opine on it. And then they know if they're a good leaver, which means, shit, I better do everything in my power to make sure if I'm leaving, I'm a good person. You know, I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't downloaded all the data from the files or whatever the case would be. Haven't upset anybody. Haven't put anything stupid in the website. If they're a good leaver, they'll want to be a good leaver and they'll want to just work on a good leaver discount. So all you need to work out is what is the discount that with staff members who get equity? What is the discount? Mm-hmm. And this is important because um, we live in an environment today in this country in particular where wages don't go up. We haven't had any wage rises in this country. Our, we have had a wage recession for the last five years. We haven't had wage increase. In fact, wages have decreased which is one of the big issues that's right now because house prices are going up, people are borrowing more money and interest rates could go up, but wages aren't going up. And the reason why wages aren't going up largely is due to this sort of stuff, this conversation you're having with your staff, but big organisations like big banks are having the same conversation with their staff. Look, we can't afford to pay you any more money, but we value your work. So we're going to give you options or equity and that sort of stuff. Now, banks, lenders like me, we don't take that into account. We don't look at the value of the options because – be like the staff member asked you, how do I value it? So I think there needs to be this process now of actually starting to put in rigid valuation guidelines and real certainty into staff incentive programs as to exactly what they're going to get so they can get their hand around and sort of get a sense of this is what I'm working for. And if I'm good, I'm going to get, I'm going to get most of it. If I'm bad, well, I'm going to get, get penalised. It's probably worth thinking about. Yeah, absolutely. I think In shareholders' agreement. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that sounds like a very good idea. I'll take that away and look at it. Now, I'm getting wound up here. Now, not by you or me, but I'm getting wound up by my producer, which basically means I've got to hurry up. But I always like to know is what is the one question my guests, and right now you, uh, would like to ask me? So I'm really curious as to what your view on all of the conversation recently about 
four, five, seven visas and um, different workers and and arrangements are like. Where do you where do you stand on on all of the discussion that's been in the media recently? I, I will preface all that by saying I am a, a nationalist. In other words, I am uh, very very pro Australia. Uh, I am pro Australian business and pro Australians to getting the the first look at work. Um, so, which the four five seven visa is sort of like, uh, or the change of four five seven visa, which we don't even know what they are, but. Those changes proposed um, um, are around trying to make sure that jobs stay in Australia and don't go to someone who's visiting Australia, but I also have the other view because I'm also in the tech industry. Um, we need more technical um, expertise in this country. Um, so therefore, I would say around the 457 visa, there needs to be carve-outs around technology people, technologists, because I am trying to employ technologists here and some like Microsoft and or Google who are here go into the marketplace and they just get every good um, technology, every good software developer in the marketplace and take all of them. They just take all the oxygen out of the out of the atmosphere. And then I've got nobody that I can go and develop my technology, my Australian technology, because they're all being taken up by the big guys. So we therefore need to import these sorts of individuals around technology business in particular as a segment. So I am very happy as a nationalist to um, keep a jobs here in Australia for Australians. But equally, I want to advance Australia in a technological sense. I want our skill base to be, in terms of our products and services, to be better than anywhere in the world. I don't want people going to San Francisco with Australian ideas to build it in San Francisco. I don't want them going to Israel to build in Israel. I want it to be built here. And in order to have it built here, we need a carve-out in this 457 change, and the carve-out needs to be around this territory. Thank you. You're welcome. Our second guest today is Gabriel Sarajinsky. Now, Gabriel founded Homehost, and he founded Homehost after realising when he decided to go on a holiday that some of the properties that he owned that he put on Airbnb weren't able to be managed because he wasn't here, obviously. So, and he probably went away on a holiday with his girlfriend or his bride or whoever and didn't want to have to be bothered about this either. He just wanted to actually have a restful holiday. So what he did is he founded Homehost, and basically I guess what Homehost does is manage people's properties that's on Airbnb. Is that right? Exactly spot on. Okay, now, now the, the problem that you have tried to solve here with Homehost, for those people who don't engage in Airbnb, either as a guest of Airbnb or a host of Airbnb, explain clearly, mate, what exactly was the problem that you were trying to overcome. Okay, so basically um, the whole the whole reason that we set up uh, home host exactly as you said i I had a couple of properties that I was running full time on Airbnb, so when you get bookings on Airbnb, sometimes they can be you know in if for two days time in in a month 's time, what have you so if you 've got a nice property in a great area you 'll consistently get bookings um, so that gives you very limited time for you to be able to take a holiday of your own if you like to travel the world or if you meet, you meet uh, you know a wonderful woman that wants to introduce you to a, her family over in Italy, like what happened with me. Um, so basically I, I had to make the decision to go overseas, um, to, to meet the family. And, um, I had a couple of properties, uh, as mentioned, and I tried to get my parents and, uh, my brother who also had a couple of properties that he was doing himself, um, on Airbnb. And once, uh, once the inquiry started coming through and the bookings were, were there, my mother went in to, to change, um, a couple of bed sheets and, 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 uh, you know, a couple of apartments over, and she just decided that she was just over it. She couldn't do it. She didn't yeah, want to do I, it anymore. And I, I think, Gabriel, for those, a lot of people have never experienced Airbnb, not either in guest or host capacity. Um, just give people a sense of, let's say, the properties in Bondi, which is, a you know, well, Manly or something like that, and let's say it's an apartment and uh, big demand for it. And um, I just explain to someone, like, over, a, say, a month, let's say it's the middle of December, of December for the month of December, which will obviously be a busy period, um, explain to everybody what the experience would be like for an Airbnb host. In other words, someone who owns the property. So you're getting someone every second day. Would you get someone every week? Is it better than renting? Would you get more than if you rented it out to a person for six months? I mean, how does it work? Tell me. Well, for, give me a flavour. Well, well, basically, you can you can set it any way that you want to set it. So if you if you're open to changing things over on a daily basis, you can you can accept, uh, or you can you can program your your settings to be uh, one 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 day turnarounds. Um, so that means someone can pretty much check in and check out, you know, the next day. So what do you expect to do? So I, I get, let's say I'm a guest and I go and check into your place in Bondi. Yep. Um, on Sunday night, I check out on Monday night. What have you? What and then someone's come, and and Hugh here, the producer, is coming in the next day on Tuesday. Uh, what does Hugh expect to have happened? 
Okay, so basically what you want to do as, as, as a host, if you're hosting someone, you want to make sure the place is absolutely spotless. Doesn't want my dirty bed sheets, does no, it? No, no one wants dirty bed sheets. Or my towel. And, and let me tell you, there's seasoned, seasoned Airbnbers yeah, that, yeah. that use Airbnb every time they travel. Tell me why it's important with the, the seasoned people. What do, they do for, what do they do for your property on Airbnb? They rate they it? They rate it. So right. the reviews the reviews are, are very, very important. So if you're not using you know, hotel quality bed sheets, if you don't have nice you know, um, you know, bath products for you know, shampoos, conditioners, body washes, uh, if you don't have the hand soap in the bathroom, people will criticize you on it. So you know you you really need to have a very professional approach to 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 to, to having the house set up properly, um, and then I guess it, it, everything comes down to um, we've found that that we've used lock boxes in the past, but we've found that that if you meet the guest, you have personal interaction with them, nine times out of ten you get a much better review. Okay, um, so and why are the reviews important? Because it says there's super hosts and all that sort of stuff. I mean. It, does it come down to the um, economics of it? Do you make more money or absolutely, get, absolutely? Yeah. So if you if you're responding to guests, if you get a, you know what a hundred percent response rate, if you you're getting great reviews, um, I guess the SEO within Airbnb ranks you a lot higher. So they reward super hosts, and these are people that have had you know five star reviews the whole way through it. Um, you know they've 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 got outstanding results with their property. It's been clean, tidy. There's been um, it's, it's, it's run, it's been run very smoothly, like a hotel operation. Um, then you, you, you're on the front pages, you get a little star next to, next to your, um, profile. And, and what that actually does is, um, allow people that want to travel that are Airbnb, um, you know, regular travelers, they can actually choose to only stay in a super host property. So, and Airbnb, this is very clever because what Airbnb is doing is effectively by, um, giving people, um, a stamp, and and helping the SEO, which is a search engine optimization for those people listening um, on the Airbnb site, to go to say straight to your Bondi property when they type in Bondi, um, what Airbnb is doing is getting you all to compete amongst each other. So where that becomes quite important is that's an evolving thing that's changing dynamically all the time. And if all of a sudden five people in Bondi start saying, okay, we're going to have star sheets from now on, we're going to have, I don't know, feather pillows and we're going to have uh, fluffy toys and a whole lot of other stuff. And if those five people get much better ratings than you were doing, even though you were doing a good job last week, all of a sudden they're going to be ahead of you in the SEO. So it lifts the bar right up. Absolutely. So you need somebody who's on the curve, who knows exactly what the dynamic changes are, which is where home host comes in. Spot on. Is that right? Spot on. Yeah. Okay. So what you're really saying to people who use home host is, listen, for a fee, I'll make sure that you're getting the best economics out of your property, best value out of your property, because I know what the market wants. So you're just placing yourself in between the hosts and the guests. And you are sort of manipulating Airbnb. And I don't mean that in a sinister way, but you are totally aware of what Airbnb metrics inputs are requiring to be the best host you possibly can be. Is that right? That's spot on. And that's... Couldn't have said it better. It's a great marketplace. It's a marketplace. You've built a marketplace for to uh, connect guests to hosts, but with optimization. So it's an optimization marketplace. That's what you're doing. Spot on. That's a great business. I love it. I love this business. Uh, And uh, tell me about the journey. So how long ago did you start? So we we launched Home Host in November 2015. Um, when I say that, that's when we finally got the website to where we wanted to have it and put it out to the marketplace. By uh, I guess um, you know we we, we had uh, we had um, a bit of a launch by just sharing it on on social media. So I guess when we launched it, we we put it on Facebook. Um, you know, wrote to all our immediate friends to say, look, this is our new business. We've 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 got uh, Home Host. Managing Airbnb properties away, please share it with everyone. And and like a wildfire, it just spread. A lot of people said this is a great idea. We were the first um, in the country with this with this uh, uh, with this project. Um, I'd seen. I'd, I guess from that experience of being in Italy, I was trying to figure out who could help me. Obviously, my mother let me down. She didn't want to well, have it's a bar. Not your it. mum's gig, that's for sure. <laughs> so, I don't blame her. Yeah. I'd have one of my kids ask me to start making beds. <laughs> So, you know, I searched online. There was no one doing it. And that's where this, this idea was born. Okay. So can I, what are the components? So, so, I um, mean, I guess you have to, I mean, how do you get the sheets changed? Let's say I'm leaving and you're arriving overnight. I mean, do you rent the sheets to the 
to well, the host? Well, at the moment, we're sort of trying to make sure that our, our hosts are making the most amount of money they possibly can. We've, we've tried to team up with, with linen providers, but we found that to be very, very expensive. So what we've actually asked is the owners to purchase the linen themselves, a good quality linen. Uh, we'll manage, we'll get a double set for every single bed. Um, so basically, does that mean uh, two sets? Like, so one's one's always one's always clean, ready to replace. Exactly. Right. So when a guest stays, uh, the cleaners will arrive with the new set, change it over. So you bring the cleaners in. The cleaners, yeah. yep. We've got a cleaning team that work with us uh, exclusively. They come in and do everything to our standards. So we've got certain uh, requirements that our, our cleaners, um, you know, abide by. Uh, they, they get a report that they fill in every single day. That comes through to us after every single checkout, and that makes sure that we've got the right products in there for running low with anything we know about it straight away before the, the next guest arrives. Um, so the components really are, uh, are to have you know the house as spotless as possible for, before the first guest, and um, we just run it like a like a five star hotel. Okay, so how many people would you have? What's the I mean? Is it, it sounds like it's heavy on cleaners and people. I mean, it sounds like it's, you need a lot of contractors or a lot of cleaners anyway. Um, so how how's how heavy is that to manage? Is it like you you're really managing manpower too, aren't you? Well, you know what? It's it's we've we've invested heavily into a great platform that we're using to run our business. So we've basically tried everything to to get this to get the face to face time. Um, you know, with our clients as an absolute priority. So with our system, we've automated everything. So when right. we get a booking straight away, our cleaners get the job. Right. When the person checks in, the cleaners will get, uh, you know, a notification that the, 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 the guest has checked in and they're checking out on this day. Right. And then on the day that they're checking out, they get another reminder. So there's three different processes. What is an on. SMS? Uh, it, SMS, email. Right. I mean, I'll, I'll ask you know our team what they want to do. Right. Um, the, the other the other thing as well. I mean, we, we, we've really tried to figure out: do we team up with you know great firms out there? I mean, Liz, uh, Wiz launched their their cleaning business a little while ago. We wanted to to join with them. Um, how we just figured that every single cleaner that was going to the property was going to be a different cleaner using that platform. We wanted to make sure that if we had a cleaning team, they knew the property inside and out and they were committed to that property. So our, our cleaners are given certain properties that they manage themselves. So every time they're going to the same property, they know all the ins and outs of it and it's, and it's professionally uh, managed as well as, um, you know, looked after by someone that's responsible and trustworthy. I hope our prime minister and treasurer and everyone else is listening to this conversation because you know, they talk about, um, you know, technology changing and uh, sort of making people's jobs become um, irrelevant anymore and, you know, like posties don't have a job anymore, et cetera. But here's someone creating a new business for new jobs. You're creating jobs. This is what, this is what innovation does when innovation is put into operations and you're creating jobs for cleaners and others, I guess. There's a lot of other people, not just cleaners. I mean, by the way, you're buying products and someone's making the products as well and someone's selling the products, someone's delivering the products. Um, and I guess a lot of stuff you buy, you're probably buying online anyway, and it's probably being uh, delivered by Australia Post, but it's not being delivered by the Post. You're just delivering by Australia Post Courier or Deutsche Post or DHL, whatever they call themselves, and uh, Couriers Please, etc. So you are. This is how jobs get created. This is how the the uh, the uh, matrix of jobs, unemployment, sorry, employment, and not unemployment, employment gets created in a country by these new innovative ideas. This is where the government needs to support innovators. Because innovation is going to happen no matter what, but the people being in the business of innovation doesn't necessarily happen unless there's some support. So as innovation happens no matter what, the old school jobs go out the door. Unless governments can um, um, encourage people to go into the innovative business like you, then they're not going to fill this unemployment gap. And people like you, as far as I'm concerned, need a, uh, you know you need to get an Australian medal because this <laughs> I've been saying that for a long time to the Prime Minister. I would gladly give up my Order of Australia medal <laughs> if the Prime Minister launched a medal for people in business today, a businessman's medal for small business owners, people who have a crack and make a change. I would give that up in order to promote something like this because unless we have people like you and Janice was here earlier, unless we have people with these new innovative ideas who prepare to put their balls on the line and actually have a crack, we will not fill this unemployment gap that's going to be has been created as a result of technology and innovation changes. 
We need people to have a go, and that's what you're doing. This is really important. So, can I, are you making money at at this stage? Have you been long you know, enough to make money? Great money. Yeah. You know, from day one, we we you know we were successful, and it's um, you know, I think we weren't. I mean, obviously, we were money driven, but it, yeah, I think we're just driven on trying to do the best possible job possible. Um, not only that, we're meeting great people from all over the world. People are traveling to Australia from all different continents. You're meeting great people. You're making great stories. Us being on the front line, meeting every single person that comes through. Um, I, I think I could travel the whole world and have a bed to sleep in every every place I go. That's cool. <laughs> um, can I ask, uh, uh, how important has uh, Facebook been and social media been to you? You know what, Facebook's been okay. Um, I have to say the biggest driver for us has been our SEO ranking yep. in Google. That has, has been by far the best way for us to get If our, someone's our looking for home host. If someone's looking for Airbnb management. Right. So, yeah, well, okay, Airbnb management, yeah. And they, they'll find home host. Correct. So where are you sitting? Where are you ranking up? Number one. Number one. And we're trying Very to good. maintain that. We have to maintain that. Otherwise- uh, What sort of SEO team, what sort of, um, um, SEO team are you running? I mean, well, how many people in your uh, IT team- um, you know what? I'll be honest. We outsource it. Right. So you know, we've we've got a team that works exclusive, exclusively for us. Um, I actually call them every day. Every day, I'm on the phone to them to say why we dropped, what's happened, get us back up. Have there. you met the guys from Airbnb? Um, I've met the country manager from from Airbnb. We've we've had. What's him, his name? Um, Sam McDonough. Donna. Yeah, Sam McDonough. I'll actually try to get him on the show, um, but I think we're running a little bit late with uh, getting him. He had a meeting with the premier today, so. Um, I don't think oh, that's what Mate, what's, are you serious? <laughs> I would have thought you'd come in here for sure this morning. Can I, um, can, I ask, can I ask, there's a question I've always been wanting to know about um, or a problem that I've always been looking for the solution on. I think I have it. But um, apart from actually you guys physically meeting the person at the door as they arrive and opening the door for them and all that sort of stuff, um, what what's the answer to where you can't do that. In other words, um, someone just wants to get them. They're not going to get there till two in the morning or something like that. Where do you leave the key? Look, we've, we've, we've actually got lock boxes that we've installed at quite a few properties. Um, but the, it, the, where do they get, is it, is it, is it, um, code? There's a code. Yeah. yeah. So you put a lock, but you put the keys in, you, yeah. you type in the code. So pretty much with our security, we'll, we'll release that code once we get a message that these guests are on the way. Right. So they'll send us a message as directed to when, when you arrive at the airport or when, when you're on your way, please give us 45 minutes notice. Um, or just give us a phone call to let us know that you're on the way. And then we'll release the code and tell them the location of where the lockbox is. As a text message. As, so it's not as a text message right. or as a, as a system message through, through email to the Airbnb right. account. Does that mean, and is that message, is that code automatically um, generated or is it has to be physically generated? In other words, someone has to do it's, it. It's a, it's a, it's a manual, um, manual. So when we install we'll we'll send the code. Has to do it. Um, it's it's pretty much a master lock lock box. Right. You drill it into the wall. Yeah. You set the code, put the keys in, change the dials, and when someone arrives, you'll have an automated message sending sending to them that we can just release at the click of a button to tell them the details. We actually create little videos so when people are arriving in tricky places, they can look at the video, figure out where they have to go down a lane to the left on the right hand wall. Um, you know, there's the box, and there's the box. Yeah. yeah. Be the, and look out for the dog on the right or yeah, the black exactly. cat that's going to run in front of you at two in the morning. Exactly. Freak the shit out of you. Um, <laughs> I, I used to be a milkman when I was a young guy. When I was 15, my next door neighbor where I grew up was a milkman. And uh, I used to you know, help him um, do the milk run. And we used to, the milk run in those days was um, it was a horse and a cart. We actually had a horse at the front named Sam. He was a draft horse. And he knew which house to stop at. And, and the milk run was in, uh, this particular milk run was in um, an area called uh, Belfield. Um, which is sort of out the west suburbs, and um, um, the, the guy, the 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 uh, milkman, his name was Lindsay, and um, and uh, he used to say to me, mate, um, he used to stop off and at some bloke's place at one in the morning, and I was only like fifteen, and it was free. I remember it was free. I'd be sitting there in the bloody front of the cart, be the horse, there'd be steam coming to the horse's nose, Sam, and I'd be sitting there, and he used to go into this house all the time, and what I didn't realize, he's going to have a whiskey with his mate at one in the morning. And uh, he said to me, okay, Mark, Sam's, I'll meet you down the end of the street. Sam's going to, he knows where to stop. And, and here's your list of two bottles of milk here, six bottles there, blah, blah, blah cream, whatever. And uh, I remember I used to have a goat in there and I was bloody terrified because I used to run down, I'd be going down with the milk in my little, sort of like a little carry thing. And in those days, in those areas, probably the same today, everyone had a dog or a black cat and it wouldn't be, or a spider web. And it wouldn't be until I was down the driveway 
that I'd run into the spider web or the dog would jump out at me. And, <laughs> and at 15, like, I oh, know, Jake, I, I would just about hit the roof. Like, uh, and, 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 or I'd have to be putting my hand down to feel where the money was. They'd have, those days you left the money out. And I'd be feeling around everywhere because I couldn't see anything. You'd be feeling, you didn't have mobile phones with a, a torch on or anything. <laughs> and you'd be feeling around, where's the money? Like, uh, and there'd be a spider or something there, you know? Or you'd be thinking there's going to be, it was worse still, you'd be thinking there's going to be a spider there. So I can imagine um, that today's technology allows with videos. So someone could actually be looking at their mobile phone and actually watching where they're walking on the mobile phone as they go down the alleyway to get to the lockbox in order to get the key, in order to get into the house that they just did the deal with Home Host with. Exactly. Perfect. Now, I love this business. I think it's a great business. And it's it's perfect new business in new environments. And I love the fact you're employing people. Mate, who – oh, I should ask you another way because we're running out of time. I'll ask you the most important question. What do you want to ask me? you got something you want to ask me about? Look, I, I really want to be able to expand this business. Um, I, I want to take it throughout the nation. I want to get in tight with Airbnb to be a preferred partner with Airbnb. If we were listed, I mean, they just recently launched this, um, you know, uh, this system where you could have a co-host and they've really pushed the fact that your person, you know, someone in the community or someone next door can help you. Um, but I, I, You mean like share, sharing? In other words, get your next door neighbor to... Be your manager exactly. Right. So you can click in and you can have a look to see who's in the neighbourhood. You might recognise someone that's uh, you know got got a house next door to you. Yeah, it is also a you know on Airbnb, and you can actually select them to to send them a, a you know proposal to you for them to manage your property for you. Hmm. Um, you know, it's been interesting because we're on all the properties that we manage, we've we've made ourselves co-hosts. So there's been a number of people who have actually contacted us directly to say, hey, can you help manage our property? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, I don't think it's taken away a lot of business Are you asking me us. how you compete with that? Um, the, the question is, is, I guess, as we're trying to expand our business, um, we want to make sure that we've got quality the whole way through it. Um, you know, you, you sort of move forward to try and take on more accounts, um, but then you, you, you reduce, you know, the quality to each place, you know, without having people appointed, um, you know, as management. But I guess really the question is for me to be able to scale this thing, um, you know, all throughout the country, uh, to, to be able to then present to Airbnb and say, look, we're nationwide. Um, how, how do you think, what do you think the best approach is to well, scale this thing? I mean, obviously okay, Yellow well, Brick Road is... Yeah, yeah, is, I, I get it. I get I get I get it. Let me, let me just take you through a couple of steps. The first thing is, it seems to me, how, how big is the market? Right now, every day we're getting you know five no, no. or six. Inquiries. How big is the market of Airbnb in Australia? Oh, there's there's something like forty two thousand. Okay, right, that's huge, right? So, uh, if, uh, you're not going to do one hundred percent of them, okay? Just don't ever worry. Don't you don't need to do one hundred percent because every year it's going to grow. You're going to grow. You probably won't grow at the same rate it grows. So the numerator, which is you, is not going to grow at the same rate as the denominator, which is the the number of number of possible houses in the sample in the universe, I should say. So, don't expect to grow at the same rate, which means there's going to be room for you and for somebody else. You don't mind, never mind sharing a market with someone as long as you're the dominant mm-hmm. one and you're getting enough, the getting the amount of business that you need to deal with to cover your cost to make your return, okay? Um, world dominance, let's forget about it. Australian dominance, let's forget about that. <laughs> um, in terms of um, sharing, um, you've got to build your niche. And I don't mean niche so you can have 2% of the market. I'm talking about your niche, what you stand for. And you're, you stand for professionalism and quality. Correct. This sharing arrangement doesn't sound like to me, you know, it doesn't sound like professionalism and or quality. It sounds like convenience, cheaper, um, and more for the cottagey sort of people, Airbnb people who just say maybe put it out once a year or something like that. In a terms of a business and repetition, which is what your game is, repetition, 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 uh, repeats, repeats, more business, more referrals, your game is about quality, professionalism, and that's what you should be continuing to sell to your host and or guest customers, Okay. Whether or not Airbnb would do a deal with you to make you a preferred partner um, would depend on how they see you. They won't do that in order that they won't do that for you if they think it's going to affect this sharing arrangement that they're trying to promote. Mm-hmm. Where they would do it with you if they thought you were augmenting that. In other words, you were a defined segment and it wasn't going to affect the sharing initiative that they're trying to do because Airbnb is all about sharing. It's like Uber, it's, it's a sharing game. Mm. So it's their very principle, and you can't go in there. If I was going in there to talk to them, if I was you, I wouldn't be going in there to convince them that they shouldn't be doing one and should be doing the other. I would be going in there saying, that's a brilliant idea what you're doing in the sharing, but what your guests, your guests and customers may like to see is also an augmentation uh, product 
if you don't want to do the sharing, Mr. Host, and you would like to do this other product, and I wouldn't pitch it better than the sharing, you have to pitch it differently, um, hotel style or whatever, however the words are, it's language and tone. Um, I, I would be pitching it to Airbnb that I'm, I am they're able to augment their host experience and or their guest experience. That's what I would be doing. Don't expect it to happen um, because, you know, they take big risks about when they prefer people or when they recommend people. I mean, they're, they're, a, they're that sort of organisation. They may not be at that risk stage where they're ready to do that. But in the meanwhile, mate, you just keep taking market share and just driving market share to get to a point where they're going to have to use you. Yep. You have to put yourself in a position where they need to use you. Now, that sounds arrogant, but that's what I do. You get to a position where a bank must use you as part of their part of their distribution. Now, that doesn't happen unless you build your brand. And your brand is based on the benefits and the attributes that you bring to the marketplace in which you operate. And you sound like you're doing a great job. You've only been at a couple of years. You're making money, which is great. You've got a good living out of it. You're building a valuable asset. You've got a great name. Um, I think you're in a growing market, you know, and the best markets to put new businesses in is in a rising tide market, which is where you're at, is definitely a rising tide. Be prepared to evolve with this tide because it'll change. It'll get bigger and bigger and bigger, but it'll change slightly. Don't totally stick to your current game plan. And I'm sure that at some stage, um, you will be able to do a deal with Airbnb, um, but only on the basis that they feel as though you're not sort of knocking their initiative off. And if this is a new initiative, I'd say it'd be hard right now to get rid of that. And in terms of risk management, I just make sure I'm positioning myself totally different to what the co-sharing initiative is. Um, and uh, But I, I, I don't think you need to be a preferred partner. That's my view. You're doing enough. It just seems to me you're doing enough here as it is. Your hosts are the people who are, and the guests who go into those hosts are going to be your biggest advertising medium. And like if I, I, I honestly, if I was putting my place out and I got properties around the joint, I wouldn't want my next door neighbour or some friendly next door doing it. I want to, I would want to use someone like you. My minor hotels actually got management businesses running, and my my family run it. Mm-hmm. But if I was doing, it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I don't trust next door. I just don't want to do that. I'd rather keep my relationship with next door, happy, friendly, cool, and do it properly, do it professionally. Even if I pay a few more bucks, because it's a business, I'm running a business. And most people doing Airbnb, unless they're your, uh, they're your little cottagey guys doing it once or twice a year. The ones who are doing it like you used to do it for a business, <laughs> they want it to be run professionally. So I think you're in the right space. I, I Just hang in there. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Appreciate Great business. It. I love it. Thank you very much. This has been the Mark Boris Podcast. You can follow Mark on Twitter, at Mark Boris, and find out more at markboris.com.au. Listener.